It is a JM the AM Thursday as we broadcast from the UN, and we, as we said, we have special guests who are going to be joining us all through the morning. The executive director at the United Nations Association is Mr. Chris Watley, and he is our first guest this morning here at JM the AM. A pleasure to meet you. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Nachum. It's a pleasure to be here with you. What is the United Nations Association? You bet. The United Nations Association was created even before the UN was founded. We, we've been around since 1943, and what we are is a grassroots network of Americans across the United States, almost 20,000 strong in 150 chapters, both on college campuses and communities. And basically, we're a network of Americans who support strong U.S. leadership within the UN. We think that the UN is in U.S. national interests, but also in the world's interests. And these are Americans who are connecting themselves to to the U.N. and connecting themselves to U.S. Uh, leadership in Congress to ensure that we play a strong role within the U.N. And therefore, you'd like to see the U.N. do what? We, we believe in the mission and, uh, and, and, and basic premise of the U.N. and, and the pillars of activity that it, uh, that it carries out in peace, in human rights, in development and humanitarian response. Uh, we think that, that, that the role it plays in those core pillars advance our own national interests, but also advance, advance our values as Americans. All right. I would think that, uh, and, and you mentioned college campuses, and obviously everyone always wants youth involved in any movement for good reason. Uh, the enthusiasm of youth and the idealism of youth goes a long way, to say the least, and could certainly affect change in this world. Um, but I wonder how, how, how many of the uh, members of the youth of this country are skeptical when it comes to these issues and uh, and wonder about their involvement in UNA or in the UN in general is going to actually make a difference out there? Yeah, well, it's a really good question, Nachum. And actually, when you look at youth attitudes towards the UN, it is a really hopeful story. Oh, that's good. Overall, over 70% of Americans support U.S. engagement within the, uh, the UN. Uh, now, um, some of those Americans may wish that the UN was doing a little more of something or a little less of something, but over 70% of Americans believe that a strong U.S. role in the United Nations is in our interest. It's even higher for young Americans, mm-hmm. for, for millennials. And I think that, that when you look at the, uh, the, uh, the young people today, global engagement, global citizenship, a sense that our connections to the rest of the world enhance us as opposed to subtract from us, that's just assumed. Uh, it's certainly assumed for my young kids, my 11-year-old and my 6-year-old, and I think even more so for the, for the 19-year-old who's in college today. You mentioned that you and uh, the organization in general are big supporters of the peacemaking role that the United Nations has. Certainly. For, for this audience, that's got to be one of the most sensitive and interesting topics. We speak to an audience every day that's very concerned about Israel, so the U.N. is like Certainly. This, such a vital, important building in the in the founding of the state of Israel, and such a a vital place where these debates, these important debates, take place on a regular basis. And in addition to that, of course, you know our youth very often is protesting against the UN if they're doing something that you know we, we see as challenging to Israel. So it, it must be a very delicate balance as you're trying to juggle the attitudes and activities of hundreds of countries in one place to sure. to keep an even keel. Sure, and and uh, you know, as you mentioned, you know the the UN is an imperfect institution, and it is it is uh, understandable that constituencies around the world, young people here in the United States, young people in Israel, if they see something in the UN system that they have an issue with, whether that's the preponderance of resolutions, country-specific resolutions at the Human Rights Council that deal with Israel and and the unfortunate 
significant uh, uh, bias in many of those resolutions. Uh, but at the same time, the UN is doing this fantastic work in its peace, its core peacemaking function in places that we all care about but perhaps don't take as much time to focus on. Give me one example where well, they've really made tremendous progress bet, in that area. You bet. Um, I started my career running development assistance projects in sub-Saharan Africa. One of those places was in Liberia in the midst of the Civil War in the 1990s. Scary place. Um, I depended on peace, uh, peacekeeping for my personal safety. I saw the heroic work of UN frontline workers, be they uh, those who were providing logistic support to the peacekeepers, uh, the, the UNDP workers, uh, the uh, folks from UNICEF who were working both on, uh, on child health and, and education. Um, I saw the core work that the UN was doing, but it was a terrible time for Liberia. Liberia is in a much more hopeful place right now. It's a story of the success of UN peacekeeping, which is a completely different kind of peacekeeping role that it played 20 years ago. Uh, you, you have a, almost 120,000 peacekeepers around the world who are, who are providing stability in some of the most fragile, some of the most conflict-prone, some of the most dangerous corners of the world, and they're turning the corner in places like Liberia. And I'm, I'm so glad they're doing it. It's in our interest as Americans. And they're there in Mali playing a, a peace-making uh, role that has pushed an al-Qaeda affiliate out, an, 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 an al-Qaeda affiliate that had killed Americans using Mali as a staging area. Uh, it's directly in our national interest, but it's a story that isn't told that often. You know, to the extent we think of peacekeeping, we might think of something from the early 80s or even going back into the 60s, maybe Cyprus, where you have a mission that's been there for forever and it's right. a fairly stable peace. And or UNIFIL and Border Patrols and, oh, and well, all certainly, these controversial certainly, issues. Certainly, because you have uh, you know, this, the, most, uh, the longest serving peace, uh, peacekeeping missions are those small missions right. that are right around the, uh, um, Israel's borders. Right. And from our perspective, we always wonder if they're effective or, or harmful to the whole situation. And, and those are fair questions right. to ask. But as we ask them, Let's also think about the 100,000 refugees that are at the airport right now in Bangui, Central African Republic, that are dependent for their personal safety on the deployment of the peacekeeping mission that's just been approved. I mean, we're, we're, in a, we're talking about a country that is on the tipping point of genocide. Right. Certainly an issue that resonates with the American people, with your listening audience, for with sure. all of us. And as you look at the, the, the role of the U.N. around the world and the role of peacekeeping, it's fair to ask questions about the effectiveness of various missions, including those around the borders of Israel. Correct. But let's focus on the core things it does, and let's focus on, on its successes in Liberia and the critical role that it, it's going to play in Central African Republic and advancing our values in, in protecting us against threats that emanate from those fragile ends of the world, but also in our or advancing our values by forestalling genocide in a place like Bangui. Chris Watley with us, Talk Radio Day at the UN. He's from the United Nations Association. I'm so glad that, and I'm sure plenty of people listening, are glad to hear you say that all these are legitimate questions and that it's a very complicated situation and nobody wants to be told that it's uh, uh, cut and dry. I think that's sometimes what uh, the reaction we get from our community is when resolutions come out, especially on the issue of human rights, and it seems to us like a decision has been made, that it's a good thing or a bad thing, and the argument on the other side has not always been heard. So it's nice to hear you say that. I, do th I think the quote of this conversation might be about the imperfection, though, in this building, something that you and others who work here are willing to admit. We're not in a perfect system. The UN obviously was founded with, with plenty of ideals and with a lot of idealism, 
but uh, it, it is a very complicated world, and obviously things don't go exactly according to plan. Uh, but nonetheless, we wish you continued success working with the United Nations Association. Thank you. It's I, my great pleasure to be with you. Now. Is there a specific college campus? Or a specific area of this country that's more active than others that you would cite? Well, well I would say, say that uh, we certainly have a lot of chapters around here, around the New York area, because the UN is in your blood right. if, if you're in the greater New York area. But even in the middle of the country, you know, we've got uh, we've got chapters in Birmingham, Alabama. Can you imagine there are Americans who show up at public fairs in Birmingham, Alabama, to talk about the importance of the UN to U.S. national interests with concern about what's happening outside the United yes, States? Yes, without. Without doubt, and and I and I think I have you know I have great confidence in the American people, and I and I think that that there are great people out there in Nebraska and Oklahoma, beyond the coast, who care about the role of the United States in the world, who recognize that the United Nations is in our interests, that advances our interests and our values, and the interests of our allies like Israel, may be imperfect, and there are plenty of areas that we need to work more with the UN to improve, uh, but if we're not at the table, then then we're not going to make those improvements. And for us to be at the table, we need to have Americans in every corner of this country. You know, as long as every state has two senators, we need people in every corner of this country who are willing to take a sophisticated look at the U.N. and what it does to explore how it connects with their values, to uh, 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 to point out imperfections when they see them, but also to ensure that we stay there at the table so that we can make it a better, a better institution, better international organization than it would be. Otherwise. Before I let you go, um, could you tell us how the U.N. has helped with the Americans with Disability Act, the influence that this body has had when it comes uh, to help for those who are disabled in this country and, and the world? Well, I would say that in, in some ways it's the reverse in that uh, uh, that the Americans for di- uh, the, the ADA, the American uh, um, Disability Act, uh, which uh, which came into place in 1990, is really the uh, the inspiration of so much of the content in the Disabilities Treaty uh, that in- we. Internationally. Yeah, exactly. Uh, CRPD, the dis- uh, commonly referred to as the Disabilities Treaty, right. which we have not ratified in the United States, even though the content of that treaty, this UN treaty that would offer disability protections around the world to those who ratify it, would the treaty itself would make, call for no changes whatsoever in U.S. law in that we already have the gold standard of disability treatment within the United States. Right. Uh, and, you know, I've... I've personally dealt with this I, I you know working in places like uh, like South Africa I was working on a project there in the in their political transition we brought over a great uh, Israeli legal scholar unfortunately passed away Daniel Elazar who was providing uh, uh, advice on the constitution formation process in Israel well he had suffered polio as a child mm-hmm. we had to get Mandela's security detachment to carry him into the parliament because there was no access into South African's parliament itself um, Something like the Disabilities Treaty would enable us to have access in places that we take for granted as Americans and would not violate our sovereignty, wouldn't cause any changes in U.S. law whatsoever, but would offer protections that we take for granted in other corners of the world that our veterans could benefit from and anyone suffering a disability could benefit from. Some good things happening here. Yes, without doubt. A real pleasure to meet you. Thank you, Chris Watley. It's my great pleasure. Thank you Thank you you very much. From the United Nations Association, Chris Watley is here. He's executive director of the group since the middle of 2013, and I thank you very much for being here today. That was great.